Uh, good morning. So glad that you're with us here at Christ Community Chapel, whether you're here in the sanctuary with me in East Hall or online, welcome. My name is Zach. I'm on staff here at CCC as the director of something we call Orchard NEO, Orchard Northeast Ohio. And my job, our team's job, is to make sure that one day it is true that no matter what neighborhood of Northeast Ohio you live in, there is an effective gospel preaching church there that looks like your neighborhood and feels like your neighborhood and is pointing your neighbors to Jesus. I do have, just by way of an update, some exciting news to share with you about Orchard, and that is that on August 1st, we will be bringing in our first two ever church planters. So we're very, yeah, we can clap. We're very excited about that. This means that uh, in a little over a year, in fact, I, if you go to the Orchard office, we can tell you the exact time we had a countdown clock installed. On September 20th of 2020, we will, by God's grace, start two churches in two neighborhoods that uh, do not, as of right now, have an effective gospel preaching church. So yeah, mark your calendars, and that's a day to get excited about. But for now, we are continuing our summer sermon series we're calling The Dirty Dozen. And we're looking at 12 unlikely people that God uses in the story of the Bible. I hope you're enjoying this series, and I hope you're realizing why it is that we're taking 12 weeks to go through it. And there are really two reasons for this sermon series. The first is that we want you to see that no matter who you are, no matter what your story is, God can use you. But the goal of holding out these 12 people is to say, if God can use them, he can use you. And I hope you're seeing that and feeling that. And then the second reason is because we want to change the way we as a church view other people. That perhaps maybe you have in mind the profile of the kind of person that God uses and the kind of person he doesn't. And by holding out these 12 people, we're reminding you that maybe, just maybe, God can use even those that you think he can't. And that maybe as a church, we might be all the more optimistic about what God can do in the lives of those around us. This week, we're going to be looking at the character Zacchaeus. And you can find his story in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. So if you have a Bible, I would love for you to turn to Luke chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible, no problem. It's going to be on the screen behind me. But as you're turning, I should confess some bitterness I've had to work through this week. And my name is Zach, and I grew up in the church. And if you grew up in the church, you know that there's a little song about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. And I can tell you, as an undersized junior high Zach growing up in the church, that song was not funny. And I'll tell you that while some people go to something like the Remind Conference with hard-hitting questions, that in junior high, my hardest-hitting question of God was, if you love me, why couldn't Zacchaeus be tall or strong or good-looking? Why did he have to be a wee little man? But I've worked through my issues, and now I'm ready to read Luke 19 with you. So Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, it reads this way. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, <coughs> because he was small in stature. 
So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, <coughs> the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So as we look at Zacchaeus, I want to bring before you this idea of change. That what makes Zacchaeus an unlikely person to be used by God is change. And I want to show you that in three ways. So if you're a note taker, you can write these points down. And if not, no problem, just consider these uh, mile markers to help us plot our course. And they are this. Number one, I want to show you that change is a problem. Number two, change is what it's all about. And number three, change is not what you think. So change is a problem. Change is what it's all about. And change is not what you think. First, change is a problem. And before that, I'm going <laughs> to get this bottle of water. Thank you. Audience participation. Thank you, ma'am. All right, change is a problem. Let's start here. Change is a problem. What I mean by this is, you may have noticed, all the characters we've looked at so far in the Dirty Dozen have one thing that kind of ties them together. And that one thing is, they are at a low point in life. So we've seen a man who is living in a graveyard, possessed by demons, who has to be chained down so that he's not a danger to himself or to others. We've seen a woman who's possessed by seven demons. We've seen Peter, who's just denied Jesus. Thomas, who's the only remaining doubter among the disciples. And it makes sense that at a low point, a person would meet God. Because after all, if you think about it, most of us live life on autopilot. We wake up and we do the things that we do, the way that we do them, when we do them, and without interruption, we will do that every day, and days will gather into weeks, and weeks to months, and months to years, and years into a lifetime. That, that's kind of how we live. We, we are less spiritually curious when things are good. We're, we're, we're less interested in God, typically, when things are good, because we're just kind of on autopilot. But when things take a turn, when we find ourselves at rock bottom, at our lowest point, that's when we realize our autopilot is not working. That's when we tend to become spiritually curious. That's when we tend to cry out to God. Even in your life, you would probably say that you pray the most when things get the hardest. I would say that as well. And so it makes sense to us that people at a low point would meet God. And if you're here today and you are at a low point, if you are at rock bottom, I think you're in just the right place. And I've been praying this week that God would meet you there as he is so prone to doing that you would see you are exactly where you need to be in your life and in this moment for God to meet you. But that is not where Zacchaeus is. He's not at a low point. He's not at rock bottom. Things are good for him. And you might say, if you grew up in church, well, wait a minute, Zac. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. He, 
He collects taxes for Rome, and if Rome tells him to collect 20%, he collects 25%, and he pockets the five. He's a, he's a thief. He's an extortionist. What do you mean he's not at a low point? But that's the story of Zacchaeus from the perspective of the crowd, the crowd who grumbles and says, I can't believe Jesus eats with that guy. But that is not how Zacchaeus would tell his story. That's not how you tell yours, and that's not how I tell mine. Zacchaeus, I'm sure, has rationalized his behavior and feels as though he's not doing anything wrong. I would imagine his argument would go something like this. He would say, hey, it's not my fault that the Roman Empire took over Jericho, where I live. It's not my fault that Jericho can't put together an army and overthrow Rome. I'm not a soldier. And even if I quit my job, and even if I stopped collecting taxes, someone else would. It's not like if I fired an email off to Caesar and said, I quit, Caesar would say, let's shut down the whole tax operation. Now, if, they, if I don't do it, someone will. And if I do it, and I do it well, why wouldn't I be rewarded? I mean, in other jobs, they have bonuses and incentive plans, commission. If you're a really good tax collector, why shouldn't you get a little extra on the side? And that's who he is. He's a chief tax collector. He has the corner office, the parking space closest to the building. He, he is living well. He's wealthy, we're told. And the truth is, Zacchaeus would tell us, look, every wealthy person has haters. Every successful person has people who whisper about them and murmur about them. But when I pull up to the country club in my nice car to play a round of golf, nobody cares where the money comes from. They just care that it spends. Well, Zacchaeus is not at a low point in his life. And that's why it's so curious to me that when Jesus comes to town, Zacchaeus bothers to go see him. I would imagine that someone like Zacchaeus would just say, oh, traffic's going to be a nightmare. I, I'll have to wait in line at my favorite restaurants. It's going to smell outside the office building from all the crowds. But he doesn't. When he hears Jesus is coming, he's curious, maybe He's heard the story that just happened where Jesus healed a blind beggar, and Zacchaeus says, hey, well, you don't see that every day, and so he wants to go see Jesus. And he's curious enough that when he gets there and he sees that he can't see over the crowd and nobody's going to let him cut in front because he's a tax collector, that he's curious enough to climb a tree, which is odd because he's uh, an adult and he's wealthy, and if you know, know what they wore back then, it's even odder, and he climbs the tree at great risk of personal embarrassment, and he wants to see Jesus. There's some curiosity there, but you know what's interesting is that even though he's curious, and even though he leaves the office, and even though he goes down to the crowd, and even though he climbs the tree, and even though he sits there waiting to see Jesus, he never says anything. You say, well, well, why does that matter? Big deal. He doesn't say anything. Well, the two stories that come right before Zacchaeus, the rich young ruler and the blind beggar, one a negative story and one a positive story, but in both those stories, the rich young ruler and the blind beggar go to Jesus. They, they address Jesus. They get his attention, and they say, Jesus, look at me. Do you see me? Can you help me? Will you help me? Will you answer my question? You see, they're not content to just kind of be there. They want to do business with Jesus. They want to engage Jesus, but not Zacchaeus. I mean, he's on the tree branch, and if Jesus wants to, Jesus can just go right underneath him and Zacchaeus is going to let it go. Why? 
Why wouldn't he wave from the tree branch, hey, Jesus, it's me, Zacchaeus, you know, the, the wee little man. Here I am. Why doesn't he do that? I think the reason he doesn't do that is because he's afraid of what Jesus will say. He's afraid of change. Maybe he played golf with the rich young ruler who told him, hey, I asked Jesus, what do I have to do to get to heaven? And that guy said, sell everything you have and give to the poor. And then they had a good chuckle and they both took mulligans. Maybe he's afraid that Jesus will say, I mean, think about it, if you're Zacchaeus, if Jesus looks at you, if Jesus talks to you, if you get his attention, what's he gonna say? You've gotta quit your job, Zacchaeus, you're a thief. You've gotta admit you were wrong, Zacchaeus. You've gotta tell these people you stole their money. You've gotta give your money back, Zacchaeus. You've gotta liquidate your assets. Who knows what Jesus is gonna say? So he's curious but he's not really interested in meeting Jesus. I, I wonder how many of us find ourselves there right now. Whether you come in as someone who's not a Christian and you say, I'm curious, but my fear is that if I were to become a Christian, Jesus might change me. He might change my dating life or my career or my money or whatever and I'm not comfortable with that and so change is a problem. I'm here, I'm curious, but I'm not really willing to give my life to Jesus. You don't have to be a non-Christian either to be there. It's entirely possible that you came in today saying I'm a Christian but there are areas of my life in which Jesus is simply not invited. That I'm ready to hear from God unless he wants to talk about one of these things. So the reality is for us, we're curious about God. But we're all scared that if we were really to meet God, if God were really to see us, to speak to us, to point to us, that might cause us to have to change. And change, it's a problem. That leads me to my second point, which is to say change is what it's all about. Zacchaeus does change. In fact, he changes dramatically. He goes from a thief to a generous giver. He goes from someone the poor would hide from to someone every poor person wants to see. You can pick this up in verse 8 where it says this, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. That's amazing. He says, hey, I've liquidated half my assets. And, and, and the other half, from the other half, I'm going to give back what I stole. I love that he says, if I have defrauded anyone. Yeah, if. Then I'm going to give it back times four. What a dramatic change. You know, when I think about this story, it makes me think of a few popular Christmas movies. Like A Christmas Carol, 
where Ebenezer Scrooge is a greedy miser who has no time for Christmas, and then he's visited by the ghosts of Christmas past and, and present and future, and his experience there radically changes him so that when he wakes up and he's wrestling the bed sheets, he, he goes to the window and he throws it open and he says to the boy who's out there, boy, what day is it? And the boy says, it's Christmas Day, and he says, oh, I'm not too late, and he goes and starts giving all his money away. What a great story. It's kind of like that. Or George Bailey, who believes it would be better if he just died and, and if he was never born. And so on the bridge, he says to God, if it would just be better if I was never born. And Clarence, the angel, grants his wish and he realizes, no, that would be awful. And he comes back. And you remember the scene on the bridge where he says, oh, my mouth's bleeding. And Zuzu's pedals. And he runs through the town saying he loves everything about it, even the bad parts. And you think, wow, what a change. That's the kind of change that happens here. I want you to imagine what a Christmas carol would be like if Scrooge didn't change. Can you imagine? If, if Scrooge wakes up and he's wrestling the bed sheets and, and he goes, oh, oh, it was just a dream, and he goes to the window and he throws it open and he says, boy, what day is it? And the boy says, why, it's Christmas Day. And, and Scrooge says, then stop loitering. Get a job totally different movie, am I right? Or, or what if George Bailey comes to his senses on the bridge and he goes, oh, oh, my mouth's bleeding and, and Zuzu's pedals and Bert, you know me? And Bert says, yeah, and he says, tell my wife I'm sorry and he throws himself off the bridge. Totally different movie. Dark. You say that couldn't be, Zach, because then A Christmas Carol wouldn't mean what it means. It wouldn't be a Christmas carol. And, and it couldn't be because if, if George did that, It's a Wonderful Life, it would be It's, it's a not-so-wonderful life. But friends, if Zacchaeus doesn't change, then this story loses all of its punch. You see, the story of Zacchaeus is telling us that to really meet Jesus is to have an Ebenezer Scrooge, George Bailey, Zacchaeus kind of experience. It is to be changed. It is to radically, completely, utterly change in the ways that are most uh, kind of solid, most kind of stubborn. I mean, this is money for this guy. He worships money, but it changes. It changes in a Scrooge, George Bailey kind of way. And I think here's what happens. We read a story like this and we say, well, Zach, you know, there are levels to being a Christian. Zacchaeus, he's a radical. He's an extremist. He's probably a pastor. He's not a normal kind of Christian, but friend, when we do that, we're just rationalizing why we wouldn't need to change. Do you know what's terrifying about the story of Zacchaeus? Is that not only does Zacchaeus change in this radical kind of way, which is cute at Christmas, but let's be honest, a little threatening in our everyday lives. But it isn't until he changes that Jesus calls him a Christian. Verse eight, Zacchaeus says, I've sold everything that I have. Verse nine, this is what Jesus says. Jesus said to him, today, this moment, this minute, salvation has come to this house. 
It seems like what Jesus is saying is that this guy, now, this guy is with me. This guy is a Christian. This guy is saved. This guy is born again. This guy gets it. And I want to say, oh my goodness, is that what it takes? Utter, complete, radical change? Jesus seems to be saying, yeah. You see, if you're here And what holds you back from becoming a Christian is the idea that if you began a relationship with Jesus, he would want to change everything. You are right to be afraid. I think the story of Zacchaeus says he will want to. If you're here and you're calling yourself a Christian and this story causes you angst because you say, well, well, I don't give my life to Jesus in this way. I, I don't let him change anything and everything about me. What does that mean for me? You are right to ask that question. Because just like A Christmas Carol and just like It's a Wonderful Life, the story of Zacchaeus, the story of Jesus tells us change is what it's all about. That's what it's all about. But that leads me to my third point, which is to say change is not what you think. First, I want you to notice that the change agent in this story is not Zacchaeus. Now, now think about Ebenezer Scrooge. When he, he doesn't go to bed and wake up and decide to change. He, he's visited by these ghosts. He has these nightmares and visions. George Bailey doesn't stand on the bridge and kind of smack himself in the face and say, George, get your stuff together, and then go to face the music. He needs the help of Clarence the angel. Zacchaeus does not sit on that branch and have an awakening. It is not until Jesus speaks to him that change begins. Look at what happens in the passage, verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. You see, friends, your hope and my hope is that we may have come this morning curious But our hope is not that our curiosity might reach the point at which we would volitionally change. Our hope is that curious though we may be, God himself cares to meet us. Otherwise, we just sit on our branches, feet dangling, going on about our lives. It's Jesus who's the catalyst. It's Jesus who says to Zacchaeus, I need to go to your house. It's Jesus who walks with him on the way to the house. It's Jesus who talks to him about who knows what. It's Jesus who shares a meal with him. It's Jesus who changes Zacchaeus, not Zacchaeus who changes Zacchaeus. Jesus is the change agent. And you'll say, well, well how? Don't you want to know what he says to Zacchaeus? We have no idea. He just says, I want to go to your house. And they start walking, and they get there, and they eat a meal together. And something radical happens. What did Jesus say to him? The author doesn't tell us. And I think the author doesn't tell us for two reasons. Number one, he wants us to guess. What do you think Jesus said to him? My guess is our answers would fall into two categories. Maybe Jesus spoke to him about duty. Maybe Jesus said to him, Zacchaeus, you're doing the wrong thing. You need to do the right thing. 
But I don't think that could be it because Zacchaeus seems happy about it. Behold, Lord, look at what I've done. Do you have a family member or a friend who always tells you you're wrong? Are you happy to see them? If they're here, just blink. <laughs> no, you're not. Duty may change us, but not like this. Clarence doesn't say to George Bailey, George, be a man. That's not what changes him. And even if you thought maybe it might be what Jesus said, Zacchaeus says, hey, Jesus, I have sold half of what I have and I'm giving it to the poor. The Old Testament requirement was only 10%. He says, hey, if, again, if I've stolen, allegedly, if I've stolen anything, I pay it back times four. The Old Testament requirement was only 120%. No, this is not about duty. He said, ah, okay, maybe Jesus said, Zacchaeus, if you don't change, you're going to hell. I mean, that'll, that'll sober you up. But the thing is, if that's what Jesus said, Zacchaeus wouldn't be happy. He'd be nervous. And I think what he'd say is something like this, Behold, Lord, I gave away 50%. Is that enough? Cough when I get there, 55. 55.2. You're killing me, Jesus. 55.3. I can go to 60, maybe. No, he, he doesn't do that. So what did Jesus say to him? I think the second reason Luke doesn't tell us is because the point is Jesus said to him the same thing he says to everybody. He tells him the gospel. Now, what is the gospel, the good news about Jesus? I would imagine Jesus asked Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, why is money so important to you? I, I mean, you have money, but they hate you out there. Like, like, why do you love money so much that you don't even care if they hate you? Why does money matter so much to you? And I imagine Zacchaeus said what Zac would say. There's a couple of reasons, Jesus. I mean, the first is security. They can love you out there, but if you get a bill you can't pay, you can't pay your bills in affection or loyalty or reputation. So I'd rather they hate me and be able to provide for myself than they love me and be poor. Maybe he said, status, Jesus. I mean, uh, you may not have noticed, but I'm a wee little man, you know. But I drive a nice car and I wear nice clothes and I have nice things and they know this wee little man made it. I matter. Maybe he said satisfaction. Jesus, when you have nice things, you, you get to eat at the best places and have the best toys. I mean, you know, YOLO, Jesus. And I imagine Jesus said, you see, Zacchaeus, you are a slave to money. But I'll tell you what, Zacchaeus, you are absolutely right to want status to know you matter. And you're right to want security because mattering isn't any good if you can lose it. And you're right to want satisfaction. You were made for joy. But you th see, the thing is, Zacchaeus, the problem isn't that you want status and security and satisfaction. I don't want to change that at all. I don't want to take away satisfaction and give you drudgery. I don't want to take away security and give you despair. No, the problem isn't what you want. It's where you're going. So Zacchaeus, let me tell you why I've come. 
I've come to live in your place, never stealing, never robbing, never betraying, never rationalizing. And I'm going to go to the cross, and my Father is going to take all the anger he has and should have over all that you've done, and he's going to pour it out on me on the cross, all of the anger, because I'm going to become your sin. I'm going to take on all that you've done, and he's going to dump his anger on me to the point where he will kill me, and then I'm going to raise from the dead, and I'm going to tell you that if you will grab hold of me, you can be a child of God, and that's going to be all the status you need. You're going to be a son of God. And you're going to say, but what if I lose it, Jesus? And Jesus is going to say, that's the thing. It's anchored not in you, but in me. It's what I've done, and I've already done it. So you can have a good day or a bad day. You're as much a son of God as you were when the day began. And I've come so that you might have the satisfaction of knowing God now and enjoying him forever. You see, Jesus said, Zacchaeus, I want you to have security. I want you to have status. I want you to have satisfaction. I have come to give up my security, to give up my status, to give up my satisfaction so that you might have it forever. Zacchaeus, I don't want to enslave you. I want to set you free. I want you to have true status, true security, true satisfaction, not from money, which is so fleeting, but from my life, death, and resurrection, which no one can change. You see, Ebenezer Scrooge changes with joy when he realizes generosity is not slavery, it's freedom. Greed is slavery. Do you remember what he says? He's, I'm as giddy as a schoolboy, I'm as light as a feather. George Bailey, when he runs through and he says, Merry Christmas, Bedford Falls. Merry Christmas, you old buildings and loans, you beautiful. He's saying, I thought this town was slavery, but now I realize hope has set me free. It's the only change like this if you go from slavery to freedom. But friend, in that area of your life that you're scared God will touch, That's exactly what he wants to do. You're scared if you give your life to Jesus, he will ruin you. He'll rob you of what you're looking for. But what if Jesus wants what you want, he just wants it better? You say, God, if I begin a relationship with you, will you take my boyfriend away, my girlfriend away, and God says, why? Why would that scare you? And you say, I don't want to be alone. And he says, oh my goodness, I've come so that you would never be alone again. I don't want you to be alone. Is that what you think? I want you to be alone. I want you to be alone. Jesus came, and on the cross, he became alone. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me so that you would never have to be alone? You say, God, I I want a relationship with you, but I don't want you to take my money. I've got to provide. God says, is that what you think? How burdensome. You've got to provide? I know you. Ugh hope in something better. I've come in Jesus so that you know if I wouldn't spare my own son for you, there's nothing I'll withhold from you. Friends, God does not want to enslave you. He wants to set you free. True status, true security, true satisfaction in Christ. And change is not what you think. It is not exchanging freedom for slavery. It's the opposite. It's saying, I am a lousy God. 
but Jesus is better. When Jesus says today salvation has come to this house, what he's saying is this guy gets it. How do you know? Because now that he has Jesus, money is just money. It's not something he needs. It's something he has, and it's something he can give. Let Jesus in to your life. You will only find freedom. Let's pray. Father God, we believe, help us with our unbelief. Set us free. Change us in Jesus. Change us with joy, not duty, not fear, but with joy. In your name we pray, amen.